0: welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford and I'm Robbie Hicks and on today's episode we have the wonderful Ellie
1: Watson uh, from Code Like a Girl. Uh, we unpack a lot of really big issues in this podcast and for us like talking about some of these things and the barriers to entry for, for women in tech and the pathways that are being created by people like Ellie and the programs at Code Like a Girl. Uh, some pretty inspiring stuff and, and definitely worth a listen. Um, special mention special thanks to the partners of the show heaps normal uh, hope you enjoy this episode ali thank you so much for jumping on and joining us this morning i know it's nice uh nice and early but we're pumped to have you here
2: oh it's so good to be here thanks for having me guys i'd so like to
1: kick it off with a nice uh a nice and easy one for those who are listening at home first question is who are you and what do you do
2: Ah, so I am Ali. I'm Ali Watson. Um, if you can't tell from my accent, I'm from Scotland. I moved to Australia just over seven years ago. Um, I'm currently the CEO and founder of an organisation called Code Like a Girl. <laughs> and uh, we're a social enterprise with a mission to close the gender gap in technology. Um, I really believe that men and women's needs, whether it's their family lives, professional needs, recreational, security, professional, um, all their different needs are so uniquely, you know, different to men that if if we don't have technologists of equal representation in these in these fields, um, then our world is not going to be built with with people with a vested interest in the needs of women, and women will continue to be, experience um, negative side effects of that. So I believe that. World, uh, the techno. God, it's early. <laughs> I believe that the, the technology world needs to be built um, by by people that represent our society. And currently, it's it's a little bit um, homogenous. It's a little bit male dominated. So women account for only ten percent of, of coders in the technology workforce. And I really want to change that. So I started a business to do When did
0: you? like have that realization when when you first got a job in tech or was it before that or was there a moment where it was just like this is a bit fucked up like I need to do something
2: <laughs> totally so a bit of background on me um I didn't always want to be in tech so I was a software engineer for eight years and I studied computer science at university but before that I wanted to go to art school so I wanted to be the next Frida Kahlo, be an artist and I got rejected from like every art school in the country which was pretty devastating and then I had like a month to switch and pivot uh, and they had this thing called clearing courses at university where it's like leftover spots, everyone's been accepted into uni already so they have these leftover courses and I And I took one of them. I thought, oh, God, I'll just try computer science and software engineering and give it a go. I can drop out next year. (laughs) And So I only had like a month between like being rejected from art school and jumping into computer science. And I walked into this class. And honestly, guys, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, I had no idea it would be so male dominated. I walked into this room and it was like a sea of men. And many of them just were so smart and knowledgeable you know, they just knew all the answers, they knew the curriculum. Some of them had been coding from like the age of 10 years old <laughs> and I was studying there at 19 years old, like Googling the most basic things because I hadn't even done computing at school. So at that point, it was uh, it was the steepest learning curve of my life. Um, but I really enjoyed the subject and I really got into it and I realized like design and art were such a complimentary passion to have for building technology. Um, And so, yeah, I I spent, you know, I really uh, that that whole time at university just like dealing with imposter syndrome, dealing with this sort of belief that, you know, my gender might not be as smart as men. And and these were like really toxic thoughts I was having because I was like the only woman in the class and in many of my classes. And it's hard because you're not only a minority in the room, the lecturers are men the authors of the books that you're given are men. The tutors are men. Like, everywhere you look on the, on the cover of Wired magazine, men, 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 men. So you start to just think like, maybe this, maybe this is a, like a thing. Maybe men are just better at this. Maybe their DNA is like hardwired to, to be better at technology. And obviously I didn't have the enlightenment that I have now. <laughs> obviously at the time I was like succumbing to these toxic thoughts And then and then it just clicked. I was like, you know what? I grew up with like Barbie dolls and I grew up with the Spice Girls, you know, and I realized like ghetto power wasn't really ghetto power (laughs) and that my whole life I wasn't encouraged to get into tech and of course I was a late bloomer, but you know, it was something that can be learned and it was something that was conditioned in these guys and yeah, they, they had a head start. They started really young, but here I was, you know, starting at 19 and I could do it. You know, I could learn now and I could get on. I could, you know, I could catch up, and I totally shifted my mindset at that point to to that growth mindset that we're all born with, and we somehow just kind of forget along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I just stuck it out, and um, as I when I graduated, it was it was pretty easy to get a job. And I always say this to the kids that I visit at the schools. I'm like technology industry is just booming and it still is booming so it's a it's a real um it's a real great place for opportunities and, and financial freedom and, and stability uh, even in a pandemic but finding a job you love is a much harder job and I think um it took me a little it took me a few years to find like a company and a craft that I really liked in the coding space which ended up web development and I loved working for creative agencies which I think was that whole I love design so I love working with designers and building a really cool website. So that's where I ended up finding like my passion and place within the tech industry. And that, that was, you know, eight years of my career doing that in Scotland and then over in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And that was still really male dominated. It was still, you know, I'd, I'd interview for places and they'd, and they'd be like, you know, are you okay to be the only woman in this team? Like you actually are first female hire <laughs> and that would happen just over and over and over again. Um, yeah and, I, and it was it was isolating and, and that's that's kind of how cold like a girl came about because i was i'd left like my friends i'd left my family to come over to melbourne and um i was pretty lonely and i was really trying with the guys like they invited me out one night to uh beach volleyball and i i'm scottish <laughs> there's no beaches in scotland that you want to hang on <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, okay, it was just hard to assimilate and like I just wanted to meet girls, and, and uh, yeah, I started called like a girl just as a meetup group because I was like, I gotta find like women who are interested in programming like me. I just want to have a glass of wine with them. I just want to chill with them and, and just like make friends basically. And so that's how it all started. <laughs> Very selfishly, I was like, I just want to meet other women. Um, and so, yeah. do you
0: remember the first um, girl you had through the the program or whatever, or the first time you sort of worked with with someone to? Get him, get him a job in tech or get him interested in tech and like the full sort of circle, like cycle, like say it from the start with not interested into got a mad job and loving it kind of like you.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it's hard to say. So we've, we've, we've run an internship program now, which is a bit more like an actual official pathway that women can join and get jobs. And it's hard to pick one. We, we get a lot of testimonials through that internship program. It's probably like, see when you're having a bad week, read the testimonials from the internship programme. <laughs> That's what we always do. We keep them in the back corners for the bad days. Um and some of these women like they tell us they tell us like we've changed their lives. Like and it feels it feels really surreal because we probably don't see it like that. I think we're so wrapped up on the day to day and the business side of it and we this is just our job and we we do this work. But um some of the stories from the women are just, you know, they just take us aback. Sometimes just the gratitude and how How they've just their whole lives have changed how they can support their families now how they have a future now um that is just secure and stable and i I think that's that's you know that is why we do what we do because we, we do believe in this workforce and we do believe that it has so much opportunities that women just haven't been naturally shifted into through our society um with the kids the kids is a whole different story i've i've got lots of little anecdotes that i love um we've had some girls go home and they're like i want to be like i want to be like nina and ali when i grow up and and it is so cool to see that role modeling like and to be part of that um we've had other girls who you know we, we do a lot of like intros and we go around the class and um there was one girl that turned around and said i didn't know there were girls like me and um, I think this this for us is i think this happens a lot with with girls who are interested in technology and they've never been in an environment where other girls like them who also like technology are there i think most of the time you know only three percent of high school girls are considering this as a career for themselves so you can imagine they'll be alone in their class, they'll be alone in their in their computing classes at, at school and they'll feel like oddballs. And I don't know if you remember what it's like at school and, and you can take your minds back there or, or if that causes too much PTSD. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, little kids, they just want to belong. They just want to be like their friends. They just want to be like their mums. They just want to be like their aunties and their sisters. <clears throat> but if you're different if you've got an interest in in tech if you're one of the the ones that you know have managed to find a way and and get involved with technology somehow then usually you're on your own Um, and so what I've loved about the stuff that we've done with kids is just bringing girls together and having fun with them and helping them make friends like I really envy kids and how quickly they can make friends I mean we would have these 3d coding camps and after after day three, they're all, like, best friends. Like, you can't – like, they're taking selfies together. They're exchanging numbers. I've I've adults got together, we're all, like, standoffish, you know. You're like, should I ask her out for a <laughs> coffee? Is that weird? It's, it's hard <laughs> making
0: friends as an adult, isn't it? Like, just off the bat. It's super yeah. hard. You put yourself out there, don't you? Totally.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there's
1: been a, a difference in terms of the next generation coming through, like, around gender bias for certain industry types and job types? Like, um – my wife's a teacher, and we, we talk a lot about at the moment. If a bloke applies for a job because they want more male teachers, they get preference over th- th- whether they don't. They actually get preference or not, but it's more like they're looking for more blokes to go into that that field. And the same as like you're when you worked in recruitment in the tech yeah, space, yeah, people would be like, if you can find um, a female employee, let they go sh- straight up to let's go put them into the interview stage. Do you think there's a way that? For me, like I, I listen to that and I'm, I'm very torn because I've worked across multiple industries and I understand the difference and the importance of trying to push for equality and making sure that everyone has a fair opportunity to get involved and be involved. But when I see it's not just it's not just technology that this issue exists, it's across multiple industries and seeing how, I guess, it's not... It's not always best person for the job. I just I'd love to hear your thoughts around how do you think the whole getting people involved and actually getting people past that uh, stage of interest to employment works, and how we can make sure that there is an actual equal system.
2: Yeah, I think what you're saying um, is is certainly a really common. It's a common dilemma, I think. And this is this is supposed to be complicated. This is this is like human stuff like it's it's never black and white and i think particularly when we're trying to make change and we're trying to do the right thing it can it can be complicated and it can be conflicting um i think that you know to start with in terms of meritocracy i think a lot of people get worried about the quotas and they get worried about you know putting women first um because there is a shortage of them and because so many companies are just so thirsty for that diversity, that there might be a chance that they might get a job over someone else who has more merit to get that job. I don't think any business owner or any manager or anyone in their right mind would ever employ someone just on the basis of gender. But what I would say is that someone different, someone from a diverse background, brings more to a team than just their individual skill set, they change the dynamics of that change, that team, they change the culture of that company. They change so much more because of of their diverse background. So I think that from an employment perspective, um, it sometimes isn't just about that individual. It's it's what they can do to the future of that company. And I think that's the way employers are, are thinking about this. They're They're so acutely aware that if they hire another man, nothing is going to change. That they're going to continue to have this male, pale, stale team that will continue to have blind spots that will continue to, you know, not not know the or understand the experiences of women, um, and and that will affect the day to day experiences of all employees. So I think that people from diverse backgrounds. Um, they're certainly being prioritized and i think that's a, a good thing because um i think it will only help the culture of that company i think it will only help the bottom line of that company and so i think there's i guess what i'm trying to say is just there's other there's other reasons why that person might be prioritized but i don't think at any stage they don't deserve that employment i don't think anyone would ever hire someone um just based on their on their gender i don't think that happens um, from even from <laughs> I'm a business owner and I, you know it doesn't matter what what diverse background that person comes from they still have to be qualified for the job they still have to have potential um, maybe maybe you know they get hired over someone that has the potential to date like doesn't need doesn't have uh, what I'm going to try to say that, that has those skills today but sometimes you know sometimes when you meet the right person and you know the dynamics are going to be a good thing for the company they're going to be a great culture fit but you know, you can teach the skills on the job, and say six months from t- six months from them, they will be the right person for the job. They will be the the right skills for that job. So I think, um, I think people are willing to bend and flex for the future of their company, um, on that on that day that they hire someone. Um, and I think they see uh, they see the knock on effects of hiring hiring people from from diverse backgrounds. But it's, you know, I, I think that. um It's a really, really common, it's a common feeling that a lot of people have, um, and it's particularly with quotas. I've been on many panels, um, but they work quotas, quotas. They have proof that they they, they work, and it's a a difficult thing, I think, for recruiters as well. They're told, you know, I really want a female tech talent to join the team, and there's so few of them. That you're you're having to widen your pool massively. You have to widen your search. You have to spend more time looking for that person. Um, so you certainly have to do the work to find the right person who does come from that background. It takes a lot longer than just finding another guy in tech because there's such an abundance of them the, the stats are really stacked up against you. Really,
1: with the talent pool that you're talking about, there is the challenge around. Like, is is that why with Code like a girl. You started the next thing around the kids to help increase the talent, the size of the talent pool. Because one of the things I find really interesting was having a chat with with someone recently who was trying to find. Because um, at the company I used to work for, they had a massive push for diversity, inclusion, equality, all the all the good stuff that we're, we're we're aiming and striving for as a community and society. But there's just the the lack of talent out there because the the talent pool is quite small. Because there's not as many. In, in an industry like technology, there's not as many women involved to even put their hand up to be involved in the job. So when we when these some of these companies that do have say targets for equality, so for example, um, I know ANZ was an example that they had that one of the stats they put out in their thing is like we're looking for number of employees or the gender balance that they have in their in, at their company, which I find interesting because it's it doesn't it's not an equal representative of the actual what what is what is out there so what i find hard is that when people like yourself when you were recruiting for roles and you're going people i want a female they're going to go up the list to do what it is but you you call how many people would you contact to try and wade through to find someone that would be right so i'd love to know about your is that why you're inspired to help the next generation people through to come through to in and make sure that more people see this as a viable career path to grow that talent pull out because i only think that like you mentioned before, it's a complex and challenging issue that I think will only change with generational change. The stale pale white male, I don't think that they are...
0: I that wrong. stale pale. <laughs> Well, so I think if, if we think about a lot of things at the
1: moment, is especially even in, in what's going on in politics and government, the people who are leading our country, it, it exemplifies even more that there's need for change and that people need to wake up and realise that they're... Their values, morals, and their ways of working that they've currently held for generations aren't going to fly as we move into the next phase of this digital and technology revolution.
2: Absolutely. I Was like we clap after that. One. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> about your, your program helping uh, more
1: more females being yeah involved in the totally.
2: So I think you're right. The aspirations of many tech companies is is to have a representation of society. So you know that looks different to country to country and. Um, it's it's a uh, it's you know it's unrealistic because you know if this if the population is fifty percent women you cannot um, the the technology pool is not fifty percent women it's it's I would say and, and it's hard to find a hard stat on this but Stack Overflow does a, a really good developer survey um, and they're around about ten percent so it's unachievable which is why you have to be investing in the future generations you have to be continuously Doing both things, you know, aiming high but also investing in that in that pipeline. And the problem with the pipeline is that you know girls are not taking part even in that early stage. They're dropping out from, you know, in their in their secondary level at school. They're dropping out, and you ha- and you can't give up on them. So you have to look further than that. You have to say, you know, it's not just that women aren't interested or girls are just not interested in tech. You have to ask why, you know, you have to go deeper than that. Like, why are they not interested? Where did this come from? Where do interests come from? And it comes from role models. It comes from popular culture. Um, And when we look at the way that we're bringing up children, um, it's certainly changing. And I would say that, you know, it's going to be really interesting seeing 10 years from now if we're still got this problem, if we're still seeing such a shortage of of girls choosing tech, um, but there was a really interesting time, and it's the X Files. I don't know if you've watched the X Files. Oh, David, oh, from California. California. Yeah, oh, I love skull. David. Come on, I need to. I need to so, there's this phenomenon called the Scully effect, and it was a spike in women applying for STEM degrees after you know the X Files aired and, and was really popular. And this is just a, a real example of how pop pop culture really can, particularly in westernised countries, affect the choices of young people, affect their aspirations, affect their career aspirations. Like, there's countries like Iran and India where they have very high percentage of women moving into technology education, like 50%, maybe sometimes even more than 50%. They have a different cultural problem where women are expected to sort of not stay and work after they marry and have children so they've then got another drop off where women leave the industry when they marry so that's a whole different whole different country whole different problem but um whereas with australia we have it more at the pipeline so we're just not seeing it at that early stage and some things that i've 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 loved to do at the camps is again like all of our all of our instructors are women they're a lot of them are quite young and like quite hip women as well so these girls like they, they come home and they and they just want to be these these facilitators. So role modeling is a really important aspect to it. That's why we have seen like a massive agenda. I mean, you've probably seen it in the last five years the newsletter, the newspapers, the the magazines. There has been a massive push to make women very visible in STEM, um, and so that is a that that was an agenda because we need to have those more visible role models. And I, as my own experience, you know, this this whole shortage probably wasn't as in the spotlight as it is today but there was no women there was there was hardly like i couldn't have named anyone when i was at uni who i knew was in this field whereas you know now we've just have we just have so, so much more visibility so it's i I'm, I'm feel positive that we'll see some shift um i don't know how big that shift will be um there's also a documentary so myself um called the and um a a company called creatable 2 years ago launched a documentary um called losing lena and losing lena um is like a 26 minute documentary and it it talks about the history of computing so Really, really early on, when computers were just sort of um, being invented and, and then in their early days, men particularly worked in the hardware element, and women started off in the software element. And then, once tech just started to really boom, now this was like in the sixties or something, technology really started to boom, and they needed more. They needed more software people. So, at the time, they they brought in these psychologists. They thought, right let's figure out what makes a really good programmer and um you know in the 60s gender stereotypes both negative towards men and negative towards women were so prevalent that this test that they did the psychology test was like men make better programmers because they like objects and they don't like people (laughs) so i'm like men men like people <laughs> um so anyways um so what happened next is you know suddenly this these ad campaigns these recruitment campaigns these um everything was marketed towards men and it became you know and honestly you, you need to watch this documentary because it's actually got footage from like these these ads you know the first computers, like buy your son a. Of- a laptop, well not a laptop, <laughs> 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 buy your son a Macintosh. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but it was, um it's so like, it's so strongly gendered and um, you can just start to see what happened. There was this rise of the cultural white nerd um, and all these little boys featured in the ads and it just was this whole like decades, I would say like 30 years of us feeding the message that tech was boys and boys were computers and you know that's going to take such a long time to 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 rectify it's going to take a while and it's going to take um yeah it's going to take cultural change to to be able to reset that image um and um yeah i'm not really sure it's 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 (laughs) it's sometimes overwhelming i'll be honest it's sometimes like starting a business that tackles this problem can sometimes be so overwhelming because cultural change doesn't just It doesn't just happen overnight. Um, And so we have to build systems and we have to build processes and we have to build services that can actually transform a woman from curiosity to a career. And so that's what I've been focusing on, just really tangible change. Like there are women and there's a lot of appetite, particularly Australian women who have been curious about technology. They might be later in life, they're maybe in their 25 to, to 45 age group and um they might be in full-time careers, they don't have the financial means to to sit one of these thousand dollar you know boot camps or go back into student debt. So they're sitting there wondering, you know, how do I enter this industry without any knowledge? So um that's that's a group that we've been working with this year. So uh when we were when the pandemic hit, oh <laughs> Our whole business <laughs> so uh, before before covid we were offline like everything we did was offline in person large gatherings <laughs> coding camps for kids tech companies <laughs> everything was in person yeah how was that and it was oh it was like the it was so crushing at the time like i remember this time last year what are we we're in March yeah it was this this almost like this weekend last year I was having our last family party uh it was my partner's grand's 90th and we were away for the weekend and it just all started to sink in um what was happening in the world and what was happening in Australia and like I remember walking along the beach and just like I just, the tears just started dripping down my face because I just knew, I'm actually, I think I'm having PTSD right now thinking about it. But like, I remember just thinking like, because, you know, and you guys know this yourselves, like it is such hard work to build a business and particularly this business has always felt, I'm going to have yeah, a wee glass of water for before I start crying. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm loving this.
2: But this business has been like, it's been my life's work for the last six years and It's felt so personal because it was something I experienced and because I do, I just have such an authentic passion for helping women get into this, into this space. And so to work so hard and then know what was facing us, um, you know, I remember just having a moment of just like despair and then gathering myself and going, okay, like what would be step one? What will we do? And the coding camps that we were running, they're so what makes them so magic is because they are in person we hate just having the kids on the computers all day like that's not how that's not how kids should learn to code (laughs) so we we do things like we draw algorithms on the floor with like chalk and we have them all you know understand how a computer sorts things in order by like moving them all around and and we do very physical things like we we attach bananas and make them into pianos and have them code them up and you know it's just so physical and it, it just couldn't translate. And I saw, you know, you, you were watching all these other people pivot so quickly and, you know, we're doing this thing online and it just didn't feel right for me. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this half arse. Like I don't want to put something out there because quality is so important to us. And it's also so important to the kids. Like I want them to have a unique experience that they're not going to get at school. They're, it's our school holidays. And <laughs> um, so we, we didn't do camps. We, we scrubbed that entirely. And then For Easter we decided because Easter was the first kind of big holiday that we were going to miss and Easter we decided you know fuck it we'll just do like a digital scavenger hunt so we we got like five of our our big partners on board where we had them hide bugs in their code of their websites um and then we built this website that kids could get like a, a a big magnifying glass so they dragged this magnifying glass across the screen and could find the logos of the company and then we had them go off to the company's pages and start looking through the code of the website and find these little it was like ASCII art so the ASCII art looked like a little bug and so um they could win a laptop if they if they found all the bugs across all the websites and it was really fun we had about i think we had close to eight thousand users um over the school holidays on on the website um and we eventually gave away the laptop to, to a little girl in new zealand so that was really different for us and it was really fun because i love building codes and i love building websites so in a way i got to go back to my roots like i got to actually go and do i'm really skilled in which is building a website and deploying it and running a big campaign so that was really fun and you know that gave our team like a hell of a lot of confidence for the year ahead and i think it was a little boost that we needed to go you know we can do things differently and in a way it sort of made me realize like maybe we had been playing it too safe and maybe we had just been following what other people do and because sometimes when you and again, like, I don't know what other people do, but sometimes you get wrapped up in it all like you, you start behaving differently because of what other people do and, and you just, I think you just get a bit safe. So I've, I've sort of loved this year because we could just pivot with permission um, and we have a lot of contracts. So our business model is, is very tied to like sponsorship, which, um, you know, is really brilliant because our sponsors are Are just lovely people. We love working with them, and they're so supportive. But you know, they have an expectation. There was events, there was coding camps, there was this kind of program of events for the year that suddenly got cancelled, and we were we were quite excited to have that creative freedom again. And so uh, we pivoted to to the kids stuff. We we want to build out this game that we're working on, and with the adult stuff, we decided we were actually about to open a school. So at the start of last year we we literally got the keys in february to a physical space i don't know if you know the collingwood arts precinct yeah i know where it is um it's just yeah. opened up yeah so we we managed to like get one of the classroom spaces there we were so excited to like open up because it was such a cool space it was so beautiful uh we were about to hire this amazing Mel- uh, collingwood artist to like do this do this out and uh and again yeah our whole world like came down because we realized like That would be such a crap. Like we we can't invest in this at the moment. Like to invest in a physical classroom space when we have no idea when we're gonna reopen. And I'm so glad we didn't because that was it. We had this pot of money, and it was like, do we fit out the classroom? Do we do we open a physical school in the middle of the start of a pandemic, or do we use that funding to build online online education? So we had to make the hard decision, and we went with the online option and we we sort of like I think we we folded pretty quickly and and at the time I was really nervous about doing that because I think everybody wasn't sure how long this was going to be and everyone was a little bit like temporary band-aids whereas we were going full throttle (laughs) into a longer term strategy um but I'm so glad we did because when we launched the online education so we we built our own like proprietary learning platform. We built our own videos, so we've still got like fancy mics left over for when we did the recordings. Um, and we launched them in August, and we've had about 120 students come through so far um, for those online courses. And um, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. It's been like an, an incredible pivot. We've I think we've reinvigorated the team. Like I think meeting all these women who are on the cusp of like changing their their own careers. Has been a really different audience for us to work with and i think there's this match and passion like we're so ready to change their lives and they are so ready to change their lives and it's been it's been really yeah it's been really nice it's been really exciting to to work with that demographic of of adults rather than children we obviously miss the children a lot (laughs) and we cannot wait to like have in-person stuff but the problem with the kids stuff is we we loved hosting them at tech companies. Like when kids come into a tech company like Red Bubble, for instance, or in they like they just can't believe their eyes they are like, People work here, this is a work environment. <laughs> like Um, and they love that. And it's so tangible for them. So when people aren't working from the office at the moment, it's it's hard to like organise camps or do anything in these spaces. So we're just holding off for the time being. Like I think the camps might come back next year, but um, at the moment, we're just yeah, we're just working with adults, which has been very nice and different.
0: <laughs> I'm loving that. So, is that how? It, what's the video course like? Um, well, it, it, it's a video course, isn't it?
2: So it's a, a mix of video assignments, quizzes. So it's it's kind of like a hybrid um, course where you'll you'll have like a tutor. So you meet up with a tutor once a week in a a group. So you meet with a woman who's a developer who has three plus years experience in that coding language. So there's three different coding languages that you can choose from. C-sharp, Web Dev is a course that we run and Python. So these are sort of three contemporary languages that are used in the industry. Um, And so it's a 12, 11 week course, 10 weeks of content, but you get a little break in between the five week mark. Um, And so you, you, it's drip fed. So it's very sort of like slowly, slowly you get a, it's a cohort experience. So you, you learn with other women. And that's, I think that's probably one of the most unique things about the course is you're in this community with like 25 other women. You're all learning at the same time. You're all working together at the same cadence and same pace, and you get to meet over Zoom um, all your other students and and meet with developers and meet with the team at Cold Girl as well. Um, yeah, and so at the end of the course, people get a, a sort of digital credential that they can pop on their LinkedIn. We are working on advanced courses, so our courses are are very beginner friendly. So. As long as you can do like your online banking or like get onto a Zoom call, (laughs) you have enough technology knowledge to get into one of our courses. Um, And that was important to us. Like that was important to create really accessible, no prerequisite knowledge because there is a huge demographic of women that just don't have a background at all in IT or computing. So it's nice to be able to create a very kind of easy ramp on and they're not easy courses. They're just... It's just an easy ramp on, so <laughs> it does get very challenging. Um, but uh, we've made it, maybe made sure it was really accessible. Is that
1: something you're going to continue on with? So as the world opens back up and you can go back to doing some uh, online online events and all these sort of good stuff that you did pre-COVID, is this part of the business model that you think you'll continue to go down that path?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think what it's shown as is. We were always quite biased at Gold Like a Girl because we were were Melbourne based, like most of our team at the time was very Melbourne based. We started here. So we have a really strong presence in Melbourne, but over the years we've grown a real national presence. So we have about 48,000 followers across all of our different channels Um, and we have people in remote communities, we have people in regional towns. And I think what's been really nice about the online courses is it's for everyone. Um, we've even had an international people join us like we've got a woman in Chicago we had a woman last night in Spain <laughs> so it's been really kind of exciting to be able to open ourselves up a bit and um, it's really doable as well like I think everyone like the, the idea of going global feels a little bit like oh that's that's really big but you know step by step we're, we're doing it and it's and it's really exciting so I think I think it would be really hard to go back to the old cold like a girl. Uh, I think that's where we're at. We've we've really enjoyed being open to everyone and and um I think particularly like the pandemic last year, it just it just showed you the holes in our education system. Like there's a crazy stat that eighty percent of dropouts last year um from university like were women over the age of twenty five because they had to choose between like study and home. That, coupled with all of the sort of anecdotal testimonials that we get from people joining our courses, is that there's just not enough, like, good education that is flexible, that doesn't require you to get a train into the city, sit in a classroom for hours. Um, I just don't think, I mean, sometimes that's what people need and that's certainly, like, I think that will always be a thing. But also being able to create what we've created and have it really flexible so that it can fit around you know that woman, like the every woman <laughs> the the average woman's lifestyle um is just yeah it feels really cool it feels it feels like we're, we've found our niche um and the more women that we meet from these backgrounds the more connection i think we feel to them that this is something that they need and and we want to provide so yeah i don't see it going away it's exciting everyone needs soon.
0: something different like you you talk to we talk to people all the time and they're like do you like working from home and doing stuff on at home or do you like going in I reckon three, well, half the people that we probably talk to like going in because they like going to work and that's how they set up their routine. But for me and Rob, it's more like we love being able to just wake up, go into another room, smash out some work. So if you can cater to, for everyone, I feel like that's the way moving forward really. And especially with educational pathways. Totally. I feel like that mm. traditional educational pathway where
1: people tr- like go down that uni pathway is for, for certain job types. If you want to be a, like a, something that you need a piece of paper to practice in, so like if you want to be a doctor, or mm-hmm. you want to be an accountant. Do a or you'll be a lawyer. On, you, know, yeah, you, yeah, can't, yeah. you can't really learn those skills and feel co- confident enough to go and be yeah, a practicing doctor learning oh, yeah, on it's YouTube. True. But yeah. it's
2: really funny. I got the certificate on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. can, can I you
1: know? can I can I operate on your heart? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like one of those things now that we talk about that's all the time is we've had some amazing people on our podcast who've gone through different pathways. Um, Matt Ponya is a, a, an amazing example. He just released his first um, TV, TV show, which was like following behind the scenes of one of the NRL teams. And he works with um, Paddy Mills, who's an Indigenous Australian Olympian. He's going to be a, a first, He'd be a four-time Olympian. And he he heads up their content, but he does all the filming shit, but he learned everything via just doing it and YouTube and short courses and It's like Love he it. created that pathway in this, I guess, creator's economy. And I feel like that's sort of the, where the tech space lies and having these different um, educational pathways, similar to your courses or Udemy or these different ways of doing things it allows people, a, I guess an, an easier entry point where they don't have to commit to a three to four year degree and where they can they smash
0: it. They got potential and it's, they've got all the good stuff. It's just, yeah, if there's one path, it doesn't fit everyone. You can't, some people are squares, you know, you
2: need so right. to a circle. Does that make sense? You've nailed it, guys. Hey, tell us about growing <laughs> a
1: community. Like, I, I want to mm. know, but you You launched, um, you said you seven years ago, you turned up, six years ago, you started Code Like a Girl. Tell us about growing and nurturing that community over time.
2: Yeah, cool. Um, I think the first thing is, like, you've you got to have authentic passion. You've you got to be okay with, like the nights the mornings the weekends like spending time with these people like they have to be your people um you can't falsely start a community like you can't decide i'm gonna i'm gonna start a community about this thing that i've never experienced that i don't really care about (laughs) because it will get tiring very quickly i think that you know building a community is a it's a long game it's the longest game ever and um you know even last night me and sarah our lead technologist we were on a call, we were doing like a wee meet up with people who were maybe interested in getting into tech and it's like, after a few days of work, you're absolutely exhausted and you're on this hour and a half call with just nine people, nine random people. <laughs> and again, one was from Spain and one was, you know, and you, and you gotta love that. You gotta, you gotta love spending the time. Um, and because, you know, if you don't, it's, it's about showing up, it's about, being per, being pers- persistent, it's about commitment. Um, when I started called like a girl, there was nothing like it um, at the time in in Melbourne. There was no co- there was groups for women in tech, and I would go to them. You know, g- g- there was like a Girl Geeks dinner thing that I went to, and I met no technologists. It was all UX, and I, I love like I love meeting people in UX. I love meeting project managers, but specifically, I wanted to meet technologists, <clears throat> and so. Um, but at the time, I thought, I'm not going to just do this as a one-off. Like, this is important that these women connect and keep connecting and that this this community can have a space to grow and meet one another. Because if they're not, then it's not, it's not useful. <laughs> like, a community is to connect with other people. So I think it was about that commitment. Um, as we've moved on, like, as we've grown, that's never faded. Like, that commitment is still there. Like... The events are not a revenue generator. They're not even—I um, mean, they're a great marketing exercise for sure. But, but are still a passion. Like we still really enjoy, you know, coming up with themes and coming up with uh, all the the speakers and and topics. And because that because we're really just passionate about the same things. Um, so I think having that that like-minded passion with your communities is just that is the bare bones. Uh, commitment is, is a big part of it. And then as we've grown an online community that's been a bit of a different skill set that's certainly been how do we use content strategies how do we use contemporary you know digital strategies when it comes to to growing that and um, i wouldn't say that we're experts in like the algorithms like we have a really quick really smart intelligent social media team but they're not um you know we're not one of these growth hackers that are like always how do we work the algorithms like getting the reels out i do i do sometimes like save a video on tiktok and i'm like i'm gonna share that with the team that's interesting but uh, we're a pretty we don't put too much resources behind our online stuff we just we just look for content that we really enjoy and we try and put our own opinion on it and spin on it um we have a really strong branding voice i think that's another thing that if you're starting a community or you're doing a lot of online community work you know what is your brand voice what are your values and making sure that you live them in every single caption every single post every single comment back um i think you have to have that strong otherwise you're just you're just you know bland you're just vanilla no one's gonna no one's gonna follow you if you're vanilla how do you plan that with your Um,
0: team like are you sitting down with others and going this is how we sort of want to play it out or is it just sort of naturally evolve and that's what it was
2: Mm. so I think it's we have a like we've had a pretty consistent team so we our marketing manager has been with us for close to three years and and so she's a really strong part of that brand voice we we sort of the, the brand comes from the values and the values come from the people so I think I think myself like having been obviously the founder and I'm still still in the day-to-day um I was the first employee and so we've we've kept those values and we've we've hired for those values so inclusivity um curiosity like there's lots of kind of things that we try and maintain in the growth of that team and I think ultimately that is the product you're putting out that's the brand that you put out is those people Josie or or CMO, she's she's a pretty special person to to the business. She does have an incredible copywriting ability, um. So everything that goes out in the world gets past her eyes. Um, so she has a bit cheeky as well, which I love. Like she's got a real cheekiness to her to her her writing, and um, you know when we're writing government grants, like we haven't to that one. But I'm like Josie, you can't write that. <laughs> that is a government grant <laughs> um and, and sometimes you know i'll have to to try and get her to <laughs> uh, hold back on the boss babe she loves a good boss babes hashtag <laughs> and um yeah like i just i just have such a s- intelligent smart sassy team like they're all really strong women so strong feminist educated women like josie's done um a lot of like art history and gender studies within that realm and sometimes like I am, and I say this all the time, but I am always the dumbest person in the room when it comes to my team. And like, I'll be just sitting at home watching a Slack conversation. We've, and it's just like the way they articulate ideas and talk to each other. It's just, I just feel like they're on another level sometimes. I'm like, God, I wish I could like borrow this up and share it with the world sometimes because they're just, ah, oh, they're just such intelligent babes. I love them all. Yeah. <laughs> so I think ultimately it's your it's your team. You know what? You can't fake, a like, you can't fake community. You can't fake a really strong brand. Um, and I think it really, you, you take off the coverage, you look under the hood, and it's and it's the team. Um, so, yeah, and I, and I can tell that way with you guys as well. Like, I love your brand. Funny business seems like such a, a it's just such a strong name and stru- such a, it, you've got to look and feel about you. And I know that you, under the hood, it, it's you guys. It's like your essence, you know, and and you can't fake that stuff. So um, I feel that way about Code Like a Girl. It's, it's um, it's just who we are. Like compliments, here. yeah. We're business. Oh, so look, that's almost to... my favourite thing. So
0: if I can pull <laughs> you up every day and just get a nice little compliment whenever I'm feeling down, it's true though. Like,
2: it's your essence. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've done heaps of different things, and this feels so different. It feels like, it feels like something. Like you said, like it doesn't feel like a job. It just feels like, oh, I'm meant to be doing this, and everything you're doing, like. Hard work doesn't really feel like hard work, does it? Like it does. It does. It, it does, it does. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Are you, are you willing to put yourself through the fire to, to get it done. And like at the end of the day, like your heart's in it, your, your passion's in it. How important is it to get, like you said, the right people around you? How did you recruit the right people?
2: Oof, It's not an easy job and sometimes you don't get it right. <laughs> that is definitely something I've learned. Um, and, I th- and sometimes it's so hard to know as well. Like you get what, a couple of opportunities to interview them. Um, we do like we we make sure that we do have the values in our interview questions. And I actually, I've been really inspired with one of my advisors, um, Andrew Ritchie from Estimate One. I don't know if yeah, you've yeah, they well, like a Melbourne based Oh my god, I love Andrew! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Ritchie's the best. So Ritchie's really inspi- inspiring. Like he wrote these amazing interview questions. He posted them on LinkedIn maybe maybe like six months ago or something. So I took his interview questions and I've kind of like molded them over time. But they're so thought-provoking and, and they're just a wee bit different like not I mean some of them like I would feel uncomfortable asking I think Richie could pull them off but <laughs> but uh but myself we've, we've definitely tailored some of our questions to just be a little bit more out the box um you know you've got this small opportunity to really get to know this person and um you know startups is not for everybody uh it really really isn't like those small business early days are rough and you have to have people that are willing to mop the floor as well as present and pitch to like a bunch of people like it's it's just such a versatile skill set so yeah I think having really good interview processes having really secure contracts and employment you know processes because you know it's 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 sometimes you do get yourself in hot water sometimes it is you find yourself and you've got the wrong person in, in the job and you know, you have to work out how to get out of that situation. And, um, you know, it, it happens to everyone. But once you find that right person, once you, you really do have the right person from the job, you just feel it. It's very intuition based. It's very gut feeling like the world just feels like it's running the way it's supposed to run. Um, and, you, and you just and you know when you have the wrong person as well. I
1: love that. That's a good one. You got you to gotta know when you have the wrong person. Hey, one thing I want to touch on before we wrap up today is around. We, our listeners, we're, we're pretty much split down the middle. We're fifty-fifty, um, male female who listen to our pod. Um, I think one thing from this conversation would be, for the blokes who are at home listening, how do they get involved with what you're doing, and how can they um, support? Figure out what are the best ways to tackle the steps moving forward.
2: Good question. Good question. <laughs> um, like I think that there's there's many ways you can support, called like a girl um whether it's the little things like liking us following us sharing our work or um, you know being that visible advocate i think helps it, it helps other people see that you're supporting this um you can certainly contact us if you want to become like a sponsor most of our sponsors are companies run by men and <laughs> managers that have our men that are you know so passionate about what we do um, I think particularly because we are very focused on the coding and the technical skills and the technical capabilities of women. You know, the, the stats are there that most of these companies are 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 driven um, by male male champions. So, um, if you're in a position of good privilege and you you think you can support our organisation, then um, get in touch about sponsorship. If you're a technical director, if you're a te- if you're on a tech team and and you know you've got capacity to take on an intern our internship program is growing we have about 30 partners on board we've placed about 37 sorry not 37 75 women into jobs through that internship program so it's it's you know the most direct impact you can make in this space by taking on an intern from Kotlo um other things, we have speaker spots, so we're just about to bring back our virtual events this year. We've, we felt the dust has finally settled on the webinar frenzy <laughs> and it's time to come back with events. <laughs> so that's going to be happening this year. And we do make sure that we have a nice balance of gender there too. We, you know, We we never like putting women under the impression that this is, you know, that, that men don't exist in this industry. Um, they're going to join this industry. There's going to be a lot of guys and we love having men on stage talking about you know, their knowledge, sharing their insights. Um and so there's there's some a few opportunities that you can get get involved, but um just being a, a real supporter and advocate would be would be wonderful.
0: Oh well thanks so much for joining us uh this morning Ali. It's been unbelievable to be able to pick My your pleasure. brain and hear about some of the challenges and some of the good stuff that you're doing at Code Like a Girl. Um can't wait to follow along on the journey uh on LinkedIn, even though you don't check it much. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll
2: you got my email, notes, so We, we, we good. <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, thanks so much. It's been it's been absolutely nice awesome. One. I think our listeners thanks, are going to guys. get a lot out of it. We got got a lot of our audience um, in the tech space, so um, feel like it's right up there, alley. I feel like yeah, this is yeah. a super
1: valuable conversation. The stuff that you're doing, um, pretty inspiring, and I, I'm just
2: excited you to find a way. I'm excited <laughs> to be able to meet you and have a chat. It's been great. Used to guys. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Ali Watson, I almost want that chat to start again. It, it it came and it went, but there was so much gold in there, Rob. I, I had a really good time.
1: She's just doing such meaningful work, helping a lot of people, um, breaking the mold, breaking the barriers, uh, driving conversations, setting up pathways, opening point? doors, creating job opportunities, making friends.
0: Hey, she must sleep sleep well at night knowing she's doing all this good stuff and putting that out in the world. Um We love her and her accent and the information and knowledge she dropped on this episode. If you're loving the pod, like, share, subscribe, leave us a review. We've got plenty of exciting things coming your way and uh, we love you. So thank you very much for all the support and we'll see you tomorrow.